Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White, and this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of The Science of Motherhood. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I am being a mum of one, which is something that we're going to talk about today, but I'm also a postpartum doula at Fill Your Cup. So if you haven't heard of Fill Your Cup or if you haven't heard about postpartum doulas, head over to our website, ifillyourcup.com, and you can learn all about what we do at Fill Your Cup, all about our doula village that services Melbourne and Hobart and how we could possibly help you and your little baby after they have arrived earthside. Postpartum doulas like ourselves, we're known as, and this is actually a direct quote from one of the Google reviews from one of my clients in Melbourne. She said, you're the Mary Poppins of for mothers, which I think is so, so sweet. As a postpartum doula, after the arrival of your baby, you come home, you're sleep deprived, you're sore, you do not have time to do the washing and make super nutritious meals and also love and feed and hold and rest with your baby. And that is why people have postpartum doulas. In particular, we service, I guess, a few demographics in the sense that a lot of people who have pre-existing mental health issues and who understand that they have high levels of anxiety or just get stressed out really easily, they they are always the people that come and say to me, you know, I've got a really supportive network, but I just find that things can get a little bit intense a little bit quickly in our household. And so just having another pair of hands, someone who we trust, someone who has a non-judgmental kind of, you know, presence within the household, that is what we're looking for. Other people that we find to gravitate to fill your cup because we're evidence-based a lot of professional people people like myself a-type personalities who like to be in control but also understand that doulas don't necessarily have to be synonymously um, known like crystals and a bit woo-woo and things like that that is definitely not us at fill your cup as I said, we're evidence-based. We have curated a wonderful um, FYC mama menu for our mamas to enjoy from. They get to pick their main meal and snack each week. We fold your washing. We sit down with you and listen and you, you know, can do your birth debrief with us. Um, we can help support you transition your toddler from being an only child to a new brother or new sister. These are all the things that a postpartum doula does. We essentially create the village that you may not have. So if you're interested in being supported in your postpartum, 
and that could be at any stage. Postpartum is for life. We have had clients who have you know, got the double line on that pregnancy test and called us straight away. And then we've had mums who have got bubbies who are 10 months old, they're returning to work, things have gone pear-shaped and they are just not coping. And we have been there to support them the whole way. So if you are anywhere from the beginning to, I don't know, two years old postpartum, five years old postpartum, you can always have a postpartum doula to help you. Think of it as the BFF who's going to come in and make you some beautiful meals and let you rest while we look after your baby. So if you're interested in any of that, if you'd like to know a little bit more, pop over to our website, ifillyourcup.com, set up a chat with myself. I'm more than happy and I do this all the time with families. We sit down, we have a chat, we work out what your challenges are going to be and how we can best support you in your postpartum. So on today's podcast, it is our check-in Tuesday episode, which is our kind of smaller and shorter episodes where I chat with you about something that's kind of been on my mind. It might have been a, a research paper or it might be a life experience or something that I just want to kind of touch on with our community out there, our village. And this week I have decided to talk about how we as a family are one and done. And the reason why I have chosen to speak about this is the fact that a few weeks ago I posted on our Instagram about an article that I had come across in the Age newspaper. And the the headline of the article was, in quote, triangle families on the rise, but only child stereotypes persist. And it was by Caitlin Fitzsimmons, published on the 22nd of January, which actually happens to be my birthday. Um, And it was really interesting because It was talking about the fact that triangle families or families with two parents and just one child were in fact on the rise here in Australia. But the children of, you know, those particular families still continue to receive that kind of stereotypical treatment day in, day out. And, you know, those classic things of oh, your child's going to be so lonely and you're doing a disservice to them because, you know, they're going to be spoiled brats and they're never going to learn to share and, you know, essentially they're going to be dysfunctional human beings because evidently only children never socialise with anyone else. Um, You know, that classic classic Beryl and Betty conversations that you get at the park. Oh, oh, you know, when are you going to have another baby? You know, she needs another sister or she needs a brother or something like that. And that really hit home for me because I, you know, our family, if, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, our family is a single child family. And we have decided that we are one and done. 
that's what I say to people. It's kind of like my little, you know, joke when people say to me, oh, when are you, when are you going to have another baby? You know, is, she, is Eva going to be a big sister someday? And I'm just like, no, no, we're one and done. Thank you. And after I p- posted this particular article on our Instagram, I had a lot, (laughs) a lot of people slip into our DMs and ask me, well, first of all, there was kind of two camps. One was, thank you so much for making this kind of, you know, giving this airplay because, you know, I think we're one and done but I feel like the societal norm is that we need to have at least two children because, you know, these only children cop so much flack for being just only kids. And then the other camp was we've got one child, we're thinking about having a second, but we're not too sure how did you come to the decision that you were one and done. Like, what was that process? Please help me. And so I thought about it. So I thought I would walk you through what that process was, because to me, I think it's important to know that there's always context to big life decisions like that. And pretty much after I started receiving like four, five, six, 15, 20 messages asking me about this, I thought to myself, "Mm, I'm just going to put this in a blog or a podcast or something like that, because I think that it's not, and it wasn't, it wasn't as easy as like, you know, doing one of those online quizzes and going, okay, what did we end up getting? Was it, are we having a kid? Are we not having a kid? So I think I need to bring context around to how we came to this kind of decision. And in order to do that, I think we need to go right back, right back to the beginning before I even got pregnant, before, you know, the concept of even having a child was there. And And the thing is, again, with societal norms, what plays into the decision-making and the things that we think that we're supposed to do because everyone else in the community does it. So it's just kind of like, oh, well, if everyone else does it, then, you know, I guess it's not that hard. And so going back to the beginning, I I was raised as, you know, Um, the younger sibling of of two. So I have an older sister and a lot of the families that I grew up with had at least two children in their family, sometimes three. And so growing up in my head, the story that I told myself was that I always wanted to have two children. And it's that classic thing. And you see memes about it all the time. It's like the meme of of listening to a couple who doesn't have children. I'm never going to buy my child plastic toys or my child's never going to sit on an iPad in a cafe. Like it's laughable. (laughs) It really is because until you're in it, you really don't know what it's like. And so 
I always thought that I was going to have two children. That's kind of what I I thought that I wanted. Now, the other arm of this is that there's always two people in a relationship to make a baby. Well, typically, unless, you know, you're a single mother by choice, in which case, you know, you're going to have donor sperm and things like that. But in our case, there was two people. And the other person is obviously my husband. And my husband is second generation only child. His mum was an only child. He was an only child. And I think for him, like having children, he was kind of like, look, you know, I'm fine to have a kid. That's fine. He's very easygoing, quite content with things. But for me, having children was a deal breaker. I was like, if I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life, if we're going to get married, then I need to know that children are absolutely on the cards. And he was like, okay, great. You know, whatever. That's fine. Cool. Not a problem. And so fast forward to being pregnant, having Eva. If you haven't listened to my podcast episode from episode three, which kind of details in depth about my birth and postpartum experience, you will know that I had a very tough time. And that was essentially the catalyst for Fill Your Cup. It was it was the beginning. It was the spark. It was the lighting of the match that turned into the fire and the passion that I have now to support women in creating the best postpartum they could possibly have. And I distinctly remember, if anyone has seen the movie Inside Out, where, and I'm pretty sure that's the name of it, the cartoon movie about all the emotions and they're like, you can see the different characters in the head. So you've got like joy and sadness and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they have those big kind of crystal balls and they form the little girl's core memories. So when, when she's living her life and something, you know, pops up as a core memory, it goes ding, core memory. And it's this beautiful crystal and it has to be locked away into like, you know, this specific vault. And I have a core memory of a particular moment in time in the newborn days, very, very sleep deprived and just sore and, you know, just constant feeding of Eva. And I I was sitting in my feeding chair holding Eva and I was just like absolutely bawling my eyes out to my sister and I was saying to her I just want to get off this merry-go-round like and I I pled with her I said I have no idea how and why people ever go back for a second child like this is just insanity like that is I was in a very very dark hole and I just didn't there was no light. I had no light whatsoever. And I was mentally and physically and emotionally exhausted. And I was just so depleted, like so, so depleted. And I was so confused at how out of control I was. And as a type A personality, I was just so perplexed as to what was going on 
and I was having some sort of like identity crisis or just something big was happening. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. And so, you know, I engaged with my psychologist again, who I hadn't seen in many, many years. And I said to her, I think I've got postnatal depression because this is something that I've never felt before in my life. And I just feel so awful. Like it has to be postnatal depression because that's all I knew, right? Because that word is always thrown around. And she just said to me, I'm really sorry. I know you're feeling awful and I can see that you are really tired and that you're having a tough time, but you don't have postnatal depression. And I was really perplexed by this. And I was just like, oh my God, why you, why do you keep saying this to me? I absolutely, I have to, there's something wrong with me. I have to, like, I was hoping, I just wanted a diagnosis, right? I wanted to be to be able to put it into a box and go, okay, well, that's that. And now we know how to treat it. But what she explained to me is that everything I was feeling was a very normal, albeit uncomfortable, natural transition into motherhood. This was matrescence. And so that is something that kind of really blew my mind because I was like, I don't even know what this is. I didn't plan for this. And as a researcher, I cut, like that was a big hit to my ego as well. The fact that I hadn't researched and I hadn't planned because I'm a planner. <laughs> and so I had to grapple with all of that kind of stuff. And so it was a really, really hard time. And I think at that point I was like, I am never doing this again. I'm just not, I can't do it. But fast forward, you know, we kind of know that it does get a little bit better. You know, their sleeping does get <laughs> a bit better. Not great, but it gets better and you learn how to manage a little bit better and your brain and your body start to re-equilibrate again. You know, there's recovery and stuff like that. And I started to kind of get back into a bit of a groove and, you know, you return, I returned to work after um, 12 months. And then there's that age gap, <laughs> that one to three years is kind of creeping up. And that's generally, I'm going to, you know, in big kind of quotation, generally the age gap between siblings in Australia. And so I started to kind of feel that inevitable question of, when are you having another baby? Are you having another baby? When do you think you'll have another baby? Oh, Eva would be such a great big sister. And, and like for the majority of the time, I was like, absolutely not. We're one and done. That was like my standard line. But then I guess that thought kind of creeped into my head. Like, is this it? Am I Am I certain about this? Is this what I actually really want? And so I sat down with Grayson and we had a lot of very robust conversations about it. He was absolutely no and I was on the fence. I was like, some days I was like, yes, we could absolutely do this. I could do it. I, I know, like I've kind of learnt you know, now, and I've done research and things like that. 
And then other days, you know, those hard days, you know, those days <laughs> where your toddler wakes up like 5,000 times in the night. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot, I just even can't, <laughs> I just can't even fathom this whatsoever. But I think for us, in order to kind of push through and make that final decision, we didn't kind of read blog articles. Or I tried. I, I kind of tried to read articles and I spoke to a couple of friends about, you know, their experiences, about how they did decision-making and things like that. But what I discovered is that no one else's experience can inform your own and that you and your partner and the circumstances that you're in, you know, your family unit, it's so unique. What you have lived through is so unique. Your values, your finances, your priorities, your support network, your worries and wants are all unique to your family. And so whilst I was kind of, you know, in the beginning hunting for that article, or as I alluded to at the beginning of the episode, you know, that quiz where you kind of follow it through like, um, like a flow diagram to work out whether, you know, you land on how many children you should have by the end of your lifetime, I discovered that that just wasn't going to work. And so what we ended up doing was we booked in several sessions with my psychologist who is just so in tune with me and my husband. She understands us very intimately about all the nuances, our personalities and all the things, all the nitty gritties. (laughs) And so we worked through it with her. We had someone who was impartial And so she kind of provided that really beautiful, safe space for both of us to be heard about our emotions and, you know, the point of view that we were coming from. And that is what we did. That that is the one thing that I could say worked for us. And so at the end of the day, you know, it was really nice to hear that, from my husband's perspective, he was really happy with just the three of us. He was kind of of the opinion where if we just have one child, both of us still can kind of keep one foot in quote unquote our previous lives, you know, including like social activities and work. And, you know, we were both kind of older at that stage. And so, he he was concerned about rolling that dice in terms of having a healthy baby, which is something that I think until we had kind of sat down with the psychologist and again, provided that really beautiful safe space to be honest and open about how each of us were feeling. Like I didn't appreciate that as much as kind of he was, you know, he's five years older than me. So that was something that was kind of playing on his mind. And so we decided, yes, we were one and done. So as I said, there was no blog articles. There was no fancy quizzes. You know, we could, we spoke to people who we knew and trusted and who had done the one done and also, you know, had families of three. And whilst you can take their opinions and their life experiences kind of under your belt at the end of the day 
it is just all about you. You have to think about where you're at in your life, what your priorities are, finances, values, what your support network looks like and whether you can mentally and physically have another child or more than one. And so after many, many discussions with my husband, we were one and done. And as I said, the financial situation, time, capacity for work, that played into it and the support network around us as well. And probably, you know, foremost, my mental health. It just kind of came back to that. I thought, my goodness, I'm not sure what I'm going to do if I slip down that spiral again. And with two kids in tow, like that is going to be super, super hard. And you know what? It's one of the number one things that I speak with potential clients about in our postpartum doula services I get a lot of parents calling me saying, I was okay with the first one, but now I know how hard it can be with like a baby, but now I'm going to have a toddler as well as looking after a baby. And I'm not sure I can cope with that by myself. And whilst they have an incredible support network, they like, you know, we can see that great partners who are, you know, pulling their weight and mother-in-laws and mums and sisters and cousins and uncles and aunties and, or, and you know, beautiful neighbours and things like that. At the end of the day, it's kind of having that one person that you can absolutely rely on who's coming to your house every single week without question. And that is why people hire postpartum doulas as well. And I guess, you know, that plays into the story of why I started Fill Your Cup. You know, I didn't get my second opportunity to quote unquote get it right with with a second child. And so I quit my job as an attorney in the middle of a pandemic and decided that this was going to become my life mission. I was going to ensure that every mother has the opportunity to have a postpartum experience that she truly deserves, something positive, something where she's absolutely thriving, you know, a place where she feels nurtured and nourished and cared for and listened to and heard, you know, that is what my life's passion turned into. And I wanted mums to realise that to be nurtured and enriched with delicious, repleting foods, they need to be surrounded by a village of caring people. And that's how Fill Your Cup was born, 100%. It was making sure that no other mother had to experience what I went through and have to go through the painstaking debate of can I or can't I survive having another child? So if you are going through this thought process right now in your family, I would love to hear about how you've kind of, you know, worked it out. Has there been, have have you found any experience with blog articles or a book 
or listening to another podcast about how to manage. So if you are currently undergoing this debate in your house or you're undergoing this debate in your mind, let me tell you that I feel for you. I see you. It is a very, very hard decision to make. And at the end of the day, whilst you can gather all the information and opinions and life experiences of the people around you, it just comes back to you. What can you manage? What can you do? And if you can't do it alone, because remember, we weren't meant to do this alone, then please reach out, whether it be to a doula or your support network please reach out to them. If you really want to have another child, start getting your village in order now. Thank you so much. Until next time, bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.